going to continue this morning, and hopefully you got an engagement sheet. We are looking at the book of Acts. And so I'm going to ask you guys to do what we just did up here. And I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me that God will reveal his truth that we need to know today. Like what we need to know from the scriptures today. He would show us what we need to know. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I want, I want to say something to you, by the way. During the service, you want to grab food or grab some drink or grab a coloring sheet or crayon. Don't, you're not going to bother anybody. That's not so. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you today in this public place here in this park in, in beautiful Highland, Illinois. We just give you praise and thanks because you're worthy of praise and thanks. Can you think of brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted right now, who are, who are in closed rooms and secret meetings, and they're just praying that nobody catches them worshiping you, but they're worshiping you anyway, Father. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be ministering to them and empowering them for the fullness of the gospel. Father God, would you teach us today the things we need to know from your word? Would you help us to be like these small children and we would learn the truth of your scripture and that we could be um, changed because we know you. Uh, we know that you change people's lives, Father, and so we depend upon you for it. Be glorified. Glorify yourself and magnify your holy name. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Awesome. So yes, yeah, so we're going to actually talk from Acts 9 today. We're going to, this will be pretty quick here, but we're going to, we're going to look through here and talk about this idea. I wanted to ask an adult question, though. I talked to the kids already, but I wanted to ask an adult question, which is this. Have you ever had God show you something? Like, have you ever had God reveal something to you in your life? We don't often talk about that. And maybe because, oh, yeah, I kind of know, but like, you really think that God's teaching you things, not on Sundays only, but in your daily life, like, do you, do you sense God teaching you or revealing things to you? The story today is all about God's revelation, and it's, as I already shared with the kids, about um, Saul. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to um, just learn together today. So I'm going to start in verse 1 of chapter 9. If you have a Bible, it should be around. You can grab a Bible and look at it. Or if you have it on your phone, look at your phone. I would encourage you to read the Word. This is what the Word says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he could, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but did not see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat nor drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go into the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. <coughs> In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before all the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands upon Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me to you so that you may see again and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is a story we know about, the, known as the conversion of Saul, right? But I want to do a little bit of history here. We just talked about it in Acts. Saul was the guy who was there when Stephen was martyred, right? He was killed for preaching the gospel. And I found an interesting thing when we were studying that together. It said, they laid their cloaks at the feet of Saul, who approved of Stephen's killing. Not only sure that thought they laid Stephen's cloaks at Saul's feet, but I don't know. Maybe it was the people who were doing the killing who laid their cloaks by him. He was watching their stuff while they were killing Stephen, the first martyr in the church, who was a deacon, by the way, right? A servant, a faithful servant. And so this is the same Saul we have here. So this is Saul. I want you to notice some things about Saul. He was, in verse 1, breathing out, breathing out murderous threats, is how the NIV says it. But what it actually says is he was breathing out, breathing out threats and murder. Like, it was separate things. He was threatening people and then threatening to kill people, right? So he was being a super bad dude. I told the kids, if you had somebody be mean, and sometimes they're like, they're mean, they call me names, they're mean, they touch me. But this dude was threatening to kill people. And let me remind you, Stephen died. Right? Let me also remind you that the church was dispersed. Remember Philip, an Ethiopian? The, the church has been spread all over the place, out of Jerusalem, because of the persecution that broke out there. And so Saul then goes to the chief priest, right? And he... Um, he wants to pursue the Christians out of Jerusalem. Look at what it says. He asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Now I want to talk about this for a minute, so that he, when he found anyone there who belonged to the way, notice that, whether men or women, he might take them back to Jerusalem. So here's what's happening. They were persecuting Christians in Jerusalem, right? It'd be like Highland. They're persecuting Christians in Highland. And so the Christians scatter to the wind, except for the apostles. They stay put, but everyone else gets run off, right? And then Paul, or Saul, <laughs> goes to the chief priest and says, give me papers to chase them over to Troy. Let me chase them over to Greenville. Let me chase them over to St. Jacob. Because if I find them, I'm going to bring them back, and they're going to pay for their blasphemy. Right? They're trying to get this Christianity thing stopped. That's the goal. It's funny because you could really think, man, Saul is such a mean person. He was there whenever Stephen was killed. You could call him evil. You could call him wicked. You could, I mean, you could just say anything you want about Saul and you get the amen choir like, yes, man, he's scum of the earth. He's the worst of the worst. If you're a Christian, he is. I think for the Jewish people, they thought he's a pretty good guy. Glad to be Christian. But for Christians, he was a terrible, terrible person. So he's going to Damascus to grab Christians there, and on the way there, you'll see here in verse 4, he fell, or in verse uh, 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. And the imagery here in the Bible is that like there were strikes of lightning coming down around Saul as he's walking to Damascus, right? So like it freaked him out. And we heard the story already, but then there's a voice that speaks and he says, Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? Like that's such a crazy thing to say. 
in the middle of this, you know, never forestall. You remember last week we talked about how the church was hunted, right? We said the church was hunted, they were persecuted. But here we have Jesus showing up and, and telling Saul that he is being persecuted. And here's one of the first thing I want to say. If you haven't engaged Jesus, this is the first kind of film of life today, is that we persecute God. I don't know, we might be troubling there, but we're going to unpack the we a little bit. But we persecute God. Or, he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am what? Jesus, right? Whom you, what? Persecute. So we persecute Jesus. You can put in that slot, we persecute God, we persecute Jesus. Now who's the we there? So we'll talk about that. That's anyone who is not of God or is not of the way, right? So, so it's someone who is fighting against Christianity. So I want to unpack it. Why would I say we? How about putting in there, you know, God slash Jesus is persecuted. True. But it takes all this responsibility off of us as being the ones who are potentially persecuting God himself. Do you think that Paul, or that Saul, I'm going to do a whole bunch of Paul, like, do you think that Saul thought he was persecuting God? No way. No way. He was persecuting those Christians. That's what he was doing. So why would I say we? Well, this is what I think. Because a lot of times we look at someone else and we chase after them and we want to tell them, you know, how wrong they are, how evil they are, how whatever they are, and we're gonna put a stop to it. Like we are. We we think we are arbiters of God's justice. We're gonna bring it the reality. But the truth is that that very well could be God. See, there's been a funny thing happened in the book of Acts, I just want to talk about it a little bit. There's a whole bunch of Christians that we aren't comfortable with in life. Like there's a whole bunch of people that don't totally agree with us about the, the gospel, but we agree on a whole bunch of stuff, and we can easily start to single them out and point a finger and say, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, chasing them around. But the truth is that it could, it could very well be God. It could be Jesus. Let me say this. So that's one thing. We persecute God. On the other side of it, though, when we're being persecuted, oh, they're coming after the church. Oh, they're coming after me become a Christian, right? Oh, my, but people don't understand. People are giving me a hard time. But when people are coming after us, what we ought to understand is in that moment, they aren't coming after us. They're coming we after are God. In land. They're coming after Jesus, right? I mean, there's a reality that behind every Christian being persecuted, so I pray to you, I pray for the persecuted Christians in the world right now, where they're under regimes that don't let worship Jesus, or they're in secret societies, and they're, 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 they believe the same gospel we do, like it's true, but they're hidden away, and they're terrified, but the people think we're going to stop those people, and they don't realize that they're trying to stop that God. They don't realize that they're trying to stop Jesus. And so for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted, or maybe ourselves who are persecuted, we should take great comfort and say, look, it's Jesus who's persecuted. Like, we're going to talk about it now. Because this is because Paul's whole, Paul's whole ministry starts with this conversion he has here when he saw. This whole conversion happens, and he has this kind of um, vision for his future, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay, so, so they're breathing out murderous threats. Oh, I did want to ask one more question, too. And this really bugs me, guys. It really bugs me. How can some of the most religious people that we know or we see be some of the most evil people that we know they see. Like, I'm not trying to be too weird here, but like, I see a lot of stuff that's done in Jesus' name, and I'm just like, no, it, it looks evil, right? 
And, and, and I share with you because my concern isn't those people out there, but this person in here. Like, where's that line where we step over? We think that we are the Holy Spirit, we are God, and we, you know, we know better than God does. There's this reality that sometimes the most Mama. religious people Mama, are the most yeah. evil people. Mama, yeah. And we all have to pause that. Because as I said, Saul was being a very religious person. He was persecuting the Christians. What's going wrong in our life if we're faithful but being evil? So Saul, Saul came and, and he kind of confronted, he was confronted by Jesus. And as I just shared with you, the truth is that when the church is persecuted, Jesus himself is persecuted for better or for worse, right? For good and for bad. That's what's happening. Alright, let's pick it up in verse 6. Now get up and go to the city, God says, and you will you will be told what you look at the word says must do. You must do. You will be told, Saul, what you must do. This isn't over yet. I love the answer up here that the kids gave that he was being disciplined by his father. You're gonna go and find out what you have to do, is what he's told. Because here's the thing conviction is unique. That's the second thing on the sheet. Conviction is unique. And the way we might say that is, revelation is unique. So what will happen often in our lives is, we'll, we'll feel like God's convicting us of particular sin. We'll go and tell everyone else to stop doing that sin. Listen, that's for me. <laughs> and Saul has very particular revelation and conviction here. You're going to get up, and you're going to go to the city, and you're going to be told exactly what you're going to have to do. This is all about Saul and what's going on in Saul's life. Look how unique it is in verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he, when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he went from the seeing, sighted man, supposedly, to someone who couldn't see. So much so, look at the verse, so that they had to lead him away by the hand of Damascus. He couldn't even finish the journey. He was doomed. But look at there. They don't have any effect. This revelation is for Paul, this revel or Saul, this revelation of this um, convic conviction of a sin for Saul. Um, they don't have any of that. But they're traveling with him. Let's read on. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called him in a vision, catch the words here, and said, Ananias, look. He's talking. I mean, notice how God, God's calling out people by name. He's like, Saul, Saul, Ananias. And he's got everyone where he wants them. And he's talking to each other. The revelation is specific. Look at it. It's unique. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named, uh, from Tarsus named Saul because he is praying. Is that inappropriate? In a vision, look at this. He has seen a man named Ananias. Look how specific God's being. Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God's been revealing this, what's going to happen to Saul to Saul the whole time, but then God's revealing to um, Ananias what's going to happen to him too, right? So he's like, Ananias, you're going to go, and you're going to go. And I, I, it's, it's just amazing to me how specific uh, he talks to Ananias. So check it out. Ananias gets no vision from God. Here's how specific it is. He says, go to Straight Street. Go to Judas's house on Straight Street. Find a guy named Saul in Judas' house on Straight Street. And he goes, and in case you're confused, it's the Saul that came from Tarsus. <laughs> no, like, in case you get that mixed up. Oh, and by the way, when you find him, he'll probably be praying. <laughs> so he gives him all these clues, like very specific vision. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to see. I just think it's hilarious. 
And I love, by the way, that he names the street where the house is. It's called Straight. You're going to go to the Straight Street, and you're going to meet this guy. And so that's what the instructions are. So I want you to notice that how specific it is. What's the application for us? Like, again, a lot of times we think that we're hearing this from God. Where have I heard this in people's lives? I'll tell you one example. I've heard it often in marriages. In marriages. People will hear things from God, and they'll go, oh, i got to get this straight in my marriage. And then you turn to your husband or your wife and say, you know what you need to do? Wait, what? It's specific. Like, like one of my favorite people in my life, um, uh, who was a spiritual pillar, my aunt, uh, she said she used to always pray that God would help her husband, help her husband. I love this story. And, and she said, one time I was praying, and, and God said, I can take care of your husband, I need to deal with you. When you get done with you, you can worry about your husband. You worry about you. And she's like, that was it. No, no, I just, I, I gotta take care of me. I, I got my own job to deal with. And so this, this revelation, this uh, conviction is unique to us. And we ought to listen to it that way. People go, you know who should be here this morning, hearing this message, man. You know who always was in church hearing this message. Listen, you're here. Don't advocate that and go like, well, I, I don't need to hear this, but they need to hear it, right? That's what we're doing. Huh? Now listen, God has a word for us. Listen, apply it to ourselves. And I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you, because that's what I do. I go, oh my gosh, you know. Let's pick it up in 13 here with Ananias. Lord, Ananias said, after hearing this great story, I have to restore God's sight, by the way. Lord, I have heard reports about this guy and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He heard about Stephen, right? And everyone else he's been persecuting. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Like, and I love Ananias here because, you know, it's easy to say, like, um, these people are holier than us in the Bible, you know? But I love that Ananias, I want to say, um, I don't know, he talked back a little bit. <laughs> like, he's just like, do you know who this is? This Saul guy? Like, are you sending him to be killed? What's going to happen here? It's not a good situation. Here's what I want to say about it. Obedience can be scary. Obedience can be scary. And this means like big obedience, like you're going to see Saul, or really small obedience is like, you know, going and doing that thing God told you to go do, or stop doing that thing God told you to stop doing, or try a new way of life that God's calling you to try a new way of life, and you're like, man, it can be scary, right? It's super scary. And Ananias expresses that. Now, I was going to say, I don't know that he was scared. I mean, but he seems scared, right? A little concerned. He's like, let's talk about it a little more. I, I think maybe you mean the wrong guy, right? Because I think I know that song. I don't want to talk to that song. Obedience can be scary. But we know that he does, right? He does it. He, 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 he gets up, he musters the courage. Do you know how many times in the Bible after Saul's converted to Jesus Christ, and he tells someone else, be courageous, be courageous, be courageous, be bold. Hold on. You think Ananias is being bold here? Even though the Lord said to do it, you think he's being courageous in that moment when he walks through the doors going, this is the guy, this is the guy with blood on his hand. He was concerned. But let me ask you this, do you ever think of yourself as a Christian? Do you ever think of yourself as a vessel that carries the very name of Jesus Christ? Like, do you think that that's true of you? As a believer in Jesus, you're a vessel, a boat, a cup, a, you know, a bowl that literally carries the name of Jesus Christ where you go. 
See, I don't know if Ananias had a kind of vision for his life. You know, just, well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm concerned. Did he understand that he was going to bring the gospel to Saul? Let's read on. This is what the Lord says. Go. This man, listen to the words, is my chosen instrument. The word there is vessel. And he's going to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, which is Jerusalem, right? Like, he's going to carry my name back to Jerusalem. And I will show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. Um, this is what I want to say about that. All this, by the way, all this we just talked about is, is true of this. And we ought to take comfort in it. God prepares believers. I'll talk about it in two different ways, but God prepares believers in life. Um, one is that if God is asking you to do something in your life, He is preparing you to do it. God is not asking you to do something, He has not prepared you. You might be scared, nervous, a little unsure of what's going to happen next, right? But if He's asking you to do it, He's prepared you to do it. And you, you, you know, there's this funny thing in the Bible where we see it all the time where you got to step into the faith that God has prepared in advance for you. You have to step into the works that He prepared in advance for us to do. You have to step into that moment. And it takes great courage. And I'm telling you that as someone who's powerless about it, right? You just got to step into it. I was reminded of the story in the Old Testament about the priests were going to cross the river, right? With the tabernacle. And the river's rushing by. And they're standing there and they're holding it. What would they have to do? They have to put their feet in. That's like a story, right? They don't, they don't get to stand on the shore and then it dries up and then it's all safe to go. No, they have to step into it. That's the same thing in our faith life. God prepares believers for the moment he's calling them to. Ananias lacked nothing in what God was going to ask for him. And even more so, Saul lacked nothing in what God was going to ask of Saul. Nothing. Because God prepared them. Look at all the preparation that was done, by the way. He tells Saul, go to the city and wait. I'm going to tell you what you must do. He tells Ananias to go down there and do this. And then he tells Saul, hey, this guy Ananias is going to come. Here's the funny thing, by the way. This idea of vision that comes up here in, the, in the, Acts chapter 7 mentions it. Whenever Stephen is given his testimony about Moses and the burning bush, that's a vision from God, right? And then here in the book of Acts, it starts, visions. And they happen all throughout the book of Acts now. We're going to see visions and visions and visions happen. But there's one other place that we see in the New Testament. And it happens at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. When he goes up the mountain to meet the Lord. And God reveals himself. And the three disciples there. And on the way down, Jesus says, don't tell the others about this vision from God. So God is always preparing his believers for the thing he's calling them to do. He's always getting them ready that they can do it. All right, picking up then. Verse uh, 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And great courage. I'm just so encouraged um, by that. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, listen, listen to what he said. Brother Saul. This, how much courage that word take? Brother. Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. How did he know that? Because God said, I appeared to this guy named Saul. He sent me so that you may see again and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the message that Ananias was brought to deliver. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. What a great story of God's faithfulness. I, I want to say one more thing from you on this idea of God preparing believers. Why should it give us great courage? Because first of all, if God calling us to do something, um, we ought to believe that he's prepared us to do it. Just believe it. That's what we should do. 
Well, here's this, and live into that. I want to encourage you to live in that. The thing is this, though. If God is calling you to do something that's his work and someone else's life, he's preparing them also. Like, that's the story here, right? He doesn't get there and they have no idea what's going on. They have to convince everyone what's supposed to happen. Like, the message of God communicated on both sides. Saul's ready, Ananias is ready. There's great courage and great repentance, but it happens. And then Ananias gets to bring the word of the Lord to his brother Saul. Look what happens to Saul, though. And this is the next point. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He could see again. I would actually argue you probably see for the first time, right? A sighted person who was made blind, also that God could heal him later, and he could see. What is going on there? Look, he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Look at, read on with me. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once... Saul began to preach or proclaim in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. Like, that's what Saul sees now, right? That's the scales are over his eyes. Like, that's the thing that when he said he could see, he couldn't see at all. And all of a sudden now, in this new life, he could see. And here's what I want to say to you about it. Um, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. I want to talk about that in two different ways here, right? Like, a lot of times we can get frustrated with people who don't understand the gospel. And we could explain it and preach it and talk about it and pray about it and they just don't get it. They don't get it. And you know they don't get it because you can see they don't get it, right? But, and this is a good word, when they believe, they will see. You see, we have that backwards in our culture. We say seeing is believing. You prove it to me, and I'll believe it. That's not how the gospel works. You believe it, and you'll see it. That's how the gospel works. It's completely different. You don't get to, to you know, even even Thomas, right? Thomas, doubting Thomas, when he said, I didn't see Jesus for myself. I won't believe until I see myself. And, and, and Jesus shows up and breaks to Thomas and says, here I am. Touch me if you want. But what does the word say? Thomas believed. Now, you can say, well, he believed when he saw him. But, you know, he believed that Jesus was crucified, died, and raised from the dead, living to rule and reign. Believing is, there's two things that, for this for me that I just want you to understand. And I think we ought to wrestle with a little bit. It's a little scary. But um, if you aren't seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ, you ought to be praying that you, that you believe, right? You believe. Because it's like a new world or a new kingdom or a new order or a new revelation. Things are different. There's something that we can sense in others that are believing that you just know. You're believing. Because believing is seen. And we can see. We can see in our own lives and we see in the lives of others. And so Saul gets to see and he immediately begins to hang out disciples. By the way, look at that. Learners of Jesus. We talked about this already. But he starts to hang out with these guys and girls and he starts to proclaim the gospel in the synagogues, right? Now I want to remind you of his journey so far. So Saul started out in Jerusalem, a Pharisee of Pharisees, like the high holy guy. He went to the chief priest and asked for authority to go to Damascus to grab Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem. And now he's in Damascus with revelation from the Lord himself that he can see the gospel and he's in the synagogue in Damascus preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, what a turnaround for the apostle Saul. I was the Apostle Paul. Uh, Saul, what a turnaround. Leading a scene. What happened for Saul? Two things. He received the sight he could see. And second thing, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Two critical things for the Apostle that he needed to move forward in his life with God. He had to see rightly and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So what happened? What's the result? We're going to wrap up with this. 
Saul becomes a great proclaimer of the gospel. Look at verse 21 with me. All who heard Saul were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem amongst those who call on this name? Look at that. Remember that? They were that in Jerusalem? This name. They wouldn't say Jesus anymore because they thought it was too dangerous. Isn't he the guy who's raising havoc among all who are calling on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And the people in the center are completely confused about what Saul's doing at this point. Yet Saul grew, what, more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Or, in the Greek it says, by proving that Jesus is the Son of God. This is what he came to talk about in the synagogue. I know the truth. Jesus is the Son of God. And so he's preaching that word in the, in the synagogues, and they're astonished by his teaching. Here's the last point. Here it is. Enemies become advocates. And this is the danger that we face when we point our finger at people who are far from the gospel and we think are wrong, and we say, those people over there, they're wicked, they're evil, they're monsters, and we label them as if God can never redeem them, and as if God can never use them, as if they, they have no place in God's kingdom, despite the fact that they were created just like you and I, we forget that we were enemies of God just like them before. But God in his mercy saved us. Let the scales come off our eyes and we could see and we could have a hope in the future. Enemies become advocates. Listen, this is the story of Saul, right? Saul. You know, Saul ends up becoming the Apostle Paul, spoiler alert, and the Apostle Paul ends up writing like two-thirds of the New Testament. The letters that we cherish as Scripture ordained by God came from this guy who was an enemy of the Gospel. And we ought to know that that's a really big deal when we have a tendency to want to label people, ostracize people, act as if they're irredeemable or that God cannot possibly use them. Here's the truth, actually. The truth is, and we find this in Luke um, 7, 47, from Jesus' own lips, that those who are forgiven much sin love much. If you see someone you think is hopelessly lost, you ought to rejoice and pray for conversion, because if they convert, they're going to be the most profoundly powerful one of the people you'll need. We ought not to stigmatize people because they're enemies. But we ought to love people and believe the gospel for them, and pray, and be God's witnesses, trusting in him every step of the way. Alright, so I want to, I want to, um, I want to read through here and I want to wrap up the whole point too. 23. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill Saul, but Saul learned their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. They're hanging outside of Damascus, waiting for the leaf, they can grab on the road and kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket to an opening in the wall. I'm not sure the imagery there. Of course, Moses again it comes up, but being uh, kind of like delivered out of the hands of, a, of an accuser or someone who wants to murder you. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, look what he did. He goes right back to Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but all the disciples were afraid of him because they didn't believe that he was really a disciple of Jesus at all. Like they remember the old Saul. They're like, we can't hang out with this guy. But look at this. I want to remind you this is Barnabas, 27, but Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. You remember who Barnabas was, right? Barnabas is, is a guy who brought, he sold some land and brought it right before Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead for not doing that. He brought his land and sold it. I told you he's going to show up again and again. And here's this clutch moment for Saul where he can't even get into the church because the church is so scared of him because of what he's done from the past. They're all uncertain. Are we safe? What's going to happen? They don't want to hang out. They don't want to come where the meetings are at, whatever. And Barnabas goes to Saul and brings Saul with him and says he's okay. And he has credibility. 
Barnabas. He brings in Saul. He took him to him, and he told him how Saul, this is in verse uh, 27 still, how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to Saul, and how in Damascus Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus Christ. So Saul stayed with him, uh, with them and moved about freely then in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. That's twice now Saul's life been in danger. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea, and then look what they did. They sent him off to where? Tarsus, his hometown. 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a great time of peace. The church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Uh, there's two things there I want you to notice. This required for motivation for church. I'm talking now about family Bible church. I'm going to talk specifically about us for a minute, right? Family Bible church. We need two things to be properly motivated for the gospel that we see revealed right here in the text in verse uh, 31. They were they were um, they were strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Grew in numbers. The way this reads in the Greek, one I'm stumbling here a little bit, is because what it says is that they were living in fear of the Lord. That's the first thing we need, is a reverent respect for God and who Jesus is. To be motivated for the gospel, we have to believe the gospel, we have to believe the Lord. Right? So we have to have a respect and a, a, a reverence for God. That's the first thing. The fear of the Lord compels us into gospel ministry. And the second thing is that we have to be uh, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, or the way it reads again, is comforted by the Holy Spirit. Because gospel ministry is tough. It is tough. And it's never stopped being tough. And we see all throughout the New Testament, and we see it in life today. Gospel ministry is hard. And so if you're out there trying to like man up or woman up and do it on your own, and you're not being comforted by the Holy Spirit of God to say, keep going, keep going, you're going to run out of gas, right? So the two things we need is we need the fear of the Lord to compel us into gospel ministry and the comfort of the Holy Spirit because it's a battle. And it's a battle in here, and it's a battle out there, a battle up there, a battle forever. But we need those two things, church. The Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord in order to be gospel of ambassadors. Now, today's Father's Day. And so I think just a minute, I don't talk to any dads in here. And I'm not trying to exclude anyone else, but I want to say something to you. I believe firmly, from my experience and from what the, the gospel says, that God has uniquely positioned you as a father to be a spiritual influencer in your life specifically in your household. And I'm talking to all dads here, by the way, not just believing dads. I'm going to say it to everyone here. So if you're a dad and you're not a believing dad, I'm telling you that God has uniquely appointed you to be bearing a spiritual burden as an influencer in your family. Where do I, where do I, why bring that up? Because look at Saul. Saul thought he was absolutely right in persecuting Christians, but he was a huge spiritual influencer. He was driving a bunch of people to follow after him. He was encouraging people to kill other people. He was giving them accolades. He was, he was going to cheat. He was doing these things, right? And so, here's the truth. Don't advocate your responsibility as a father in your household. Just acknowledge it. If you're a dad, God has uniquely positioned you to influence your home, your, your, uh, your family. I just believe that that's true. Absolutely believe it's true. I remember, and I'll just tell this real quick. I remember back when I was a believer, I, I remember I wasn't a believer, and I said, I'm not going to influence my children. They're a blank slate. I'm going to grow up and believe what they wanted to believe. Right? And the only thing that changed me, by the way, was that God, through the gospel, the scales off my eyes. 
For the first time, I saw the truth. That he is real, that I'm a, I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven. And then immediately upon me was put the mantle of a spiritual leader in my home. But guess what? Before that, I was already a spiritual leader in my home. I was just going to lead my family to destruction. That's the danger. That's the danger. But, in, in a, in a, but as a believer then, real that, but also real it with some wisdom, right? Like, God doesn't make us dictators, but he does make us spiritual influencers. Don't doubt it. Dads, listen. For better or for worse, God has designed us where we have a huge impact on our children. So don't, at least acknowledge it. Don't be afraid of that and live into it. Now, for everyone, you got to ask where you want to be. Like, do you want to be an enemy of God? Or do you want to be an advocate for God? Because that's what's at stake here. Like, in all of our lives, that's what's at stake. We're going to be an enemy or an advocate. We're going to be for the gospel or against the gospel. We're going to be an encouragement or a discouragement, right? We're going to be the, the person talking down to everyone else. We're going to be the person celebrating the, the things that we have and going, yes! When we see the gospel, and yes, that's the gospel. We'll be the people of joy and hope. But that's who we are going to be. The question is, who are you going to be? Who do you want to be? I want to pray for us. We're going to share in a time of communion this morning. Um, communion at the Bible Church is not a closed table, it's open. We believe that Jesus Christ gave his life so that every person can be free. That was the gospel. You did, that, that you could just know him and be loved by him and love him and receive him, right? And so we're going to um, break bread. And when we do this, we're going to do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ. This is his table for his people for his gospel and his glory by the power of his spirit. And so if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're invited to share communion today. If you believe he died for your sins, you're invited to share communion with us today. And I always say this, but I want to say it. And if you don't believe it today, and you go, I'm going to pray in a minute, if you go, God, I want to believe this. I want to believe the gospel. I want to believe that my sins are paid for. I don't have to do anything. I just be known by you and know you and love you and let the spirit well up in me, right? Be on your team. Like if that's your prayer today, then pray that prayer. And receive communion, because that's how you become part of the people of God. We believe it, we see it, we receive it. Spirit of God doing His work. Pray with me if you would. Um, if you don't know Christ as Savior, I would encourage you to pray. If you're if you're not sure, and you're like a dad or a person, just a person, you're like spiritually uncertain, man, just pray. Like right now, this is real talk like about God. Just say, God, if you're real, show me. You know, just talk like that. I love the Bible. God never chastised people talking here, but don't say that to me. Pray with me if you want. Father God, we thank you so much for your children who get so much stuff wrong. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that you pour out upon us. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that, that works to save us and sanctify us and make us pure and holy and good and blameless in your sight. Father God, that you were drawing us into a relationship with you before we knew you, that you, you had a plan for us while we were yet sinners, that we were far from you. Your gospel said we were near, that you caused us to see, that maybe right now you're causing someone to see that you have a hope and a future for them. Father God, for those who are here believing in your name, we give you thanks and praise, and you deserve all the glory for that. The work, the transforming work of your gospel is your power for the nation. And then, Father, for our friends who are coming to me for the first time, they ask the question, do I believe this? And maybe there are today for the first time. I, I just praise you for the work of the Holy Spirit. And those who aren't, and I, Father, I remember those days myself where I was so resistant, Father. I pray your Holy Spirit be an overcomer in their lives. I pray your Holy Spirit be an overcomer of the doubt and the anger or the hurt, whatever it is that's keeping people from just living in the freedom of Christ, Father, that your spirit will overcome the power and that you would get the glory from your people that you deserve. Father God, uh, we are not you. We are sinful creatures, but you are God, and so we trust you fully with the prayer. We pray in this time of communion that we would receive it rightly, that we would see you in it, 
and that we would hear the gospel message, that we would recognize our role as carriers of the name of Jesus Christ. May you be glorified, may you be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.